Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. Dave, it's time to spread the mojo. Yep, it is. It is. How you been? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, the uh, official beginning of summer is upon us. We just had uh, Memorial Day weekend this past weekend, which meant, of course, fixing up the pool area and the you know getting ready and having people over for cookouts and all of that, which cuts a little into modeling time, but. Uh, is enjoyable nonetheless. How about yourself? Oh, doing good. I can't complain. It's same same deal. Had some company up, went to some parties. Not all that's going on again. And uh, just had a pretty good holiday weekend. But uh, what's up in your model sphere? Anything of interest? Well, I did, you know, uh, again, the holiday weekend and all cuts into uh, my modeling time. But I actually have made some progress that we'll talk about later at the bench. I'm feeling the mojo juices flowing a little more, and uh, uh, that's making me happy. I'm just trying to take a look at the days and hours till the nationals and figure out when I'm going to get in some some bench time to maximize my bench time before the nationals. What's going on in yours? Well, my car issues persist. (laughs) If it's not one thing, it's another. But that's not really model sphere. the new job rocks, and that's not really model sphere either, but got got an interesting twist last Friday. It's model sphere adjacent. Well, that is true, but uh, even more so, I found out Friday that one of my coworkers, one of the electrical engineers, is a, a modeler. All right. And uh, we were talking for a few minutes into the, the day and took him about eight sentences, dropped the word stash and... <laughs> How he was on YouTube more than modeling because he's got some young kids right now and uh, all sounded familiar. But uh, hopefully uh, we can spread him a little mojo and he can get he can get the building again too. He showed me some pictures of some seven hundred scale ships he'd built, but he does forty eight scale aircraft and just about dabbles in a lot of stuff right now. Kind of still looking for his rudder a little bit, or maybe he'll keep doing everything. I don't know. Well, you know what that that brings up a, an interesting. I think there are more closet modelers out there than we have an idea. Jim, I was talking to Jim Bates actually yesterday and today, and a friend of his, uh, a young lady he knows through business, was talking about having gone on a date with a guy, and it turned out he was a modeler. So, A, there's a modeler who gets a date. Yay! This wasn't a dream he had, was it? No, 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 no. And this didn't involve <laughs> him. It involved a, a young lady he's friends with. So I, I am convinced there are more modelers out there that are closet. You know, modeling is a solitary hobby. And I think there are a fair number of us for whom it is actually still a solitary hobby. And hopefully one of the things this podcast can do is hook more of these modelers up together or in groups or drive them to clubs or so that, you know, all these guys who are sitting at their kitchen table and building the occasional model and that's all they do 
can can be brought further into the hobby. Yeah, it's true. So I look forward to talking to him more about this. I'm going to maybe take some of my stuff in, show him. Oh, that'll that'll get him to quit. <laughs> One look at your stuff, and he's like, "No, hell no, I ain't going to be able to do that." <laughs> show him an old, show him a real old model. You know, I could. Yeah, I can show him some new stuff too. His sh- his ships look pretty good. Don't don't discourage him. You know, I, I real, discourage it's him. like fishing. You got to reel them in. That's not the way this show works, Dave. <laughs> I know. I know. We're not here to discourage. <laughs> so, Mike, uh, uh, what modeling fluid are you partaking of tonight? Well, I am drinking a new one to me. It's called Fresh. It's a bourbon whiskey from here in Kentucky. Right now, it's bottled under contract in, out of Paris, Kentucky. Now, I don't know if you're up on this one or not. Fresh is, well... The state is in agreement with them right now. They're the first African-American-owned distillery uh, since the onset of slavery in Kentucky. Hmm. So apparently there's another outfit out of Louisville who's kind of got the same claim, and there's a lawsuit going on. But uh, Oh, no, I wasn't aware of it. As far as the product is concerned, that's neither here nor there. Uh, you know, it's a cool story, and I really wanted to like this one, but I'm, I'll be honest, I'm afraid I'm not succeeding. For my own palate, it's not enjoyable on a number of accounts. It's got a honey malt in it, so he's he's doing something really different. He's kind of going out there on a limb uh, as far as bur- – it's a bourbon by, you know, the mash bill and the process. Right. Uh, but, beca- but because of this honey note, there's none of the oak. There's none of the vanilla. There's none of the caramel. There's none of that nutty smell, you know, from two or three feet away from an open right. glass. You know what I'm talk- talking about? Yeah, I know exactly. Uh, it's, it's got this really upfront honey sweetness to it. And I swear, if I blindfolded you and put this under your nose and told – you it was an alcoholic drink, and then tell me what it was. You'd say it was tequila. Really? Yes, it has that really intense sweet smell, like the agave coming through in a, in a tequila. Hmm. hmm. So it's it's ninety five proof. It's I don't know. I gotta figure out something to do with it because neat or on a rock is just it's it's kind of tough. I'm not. It just does not taste like bourbon. Hmm. I wonder if it'd be decent as a mixer. I don't know. It might be. Hmm. Well. You Maybe have to give some, it a try. Uh, uh, margarita mix. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You know what an Arnold Palmer is, right? Yes, it might work in that. Well, I was going to say, you know what an Arnold Palmer with alcohol in it is called? John Daly. It's a John Daly. And, you know, I kind of wonder, given your description of it, you know how the lemonade in a in a Arnold Palmer so can be a little bit tart. I wonder if that would work well as a John Dale, as the alcohol mixture in a John Dale. It might. I don't know. Hope you got something better, man. What are you doing? Well, I've got one. I'm also trying a new one. This will be a very informative episode for the partakers out there. That's right. Uh, This one's called Cooper's Craft. It's out of Brown Foreman Distillery here in Louisville. It's 100 proof. It's claim to fame as far as what they're claiming about this particular bourbon is, as we all know, bourbon has to be aged in never used charred white oak barrels. Well, apparently what they do with their barrels is once they've been charred, they take a a chisel and they hand chisel streaks in the charring to expose more surface area to to the alcohol in the barrel. Uh, because you've got all these grooves that it flows into. Now, they don't tell you 
how how many years it's been aged. But if you look at it, you would swear it is a 10 or 12-year-old bourbon because it's very dark in color. It's 100 proof. It has all the classic bourbon uh, notes, uh, caramel, uh, vanilla. It also has a little bit of cherry to it, or, or what I perceive as cherry. And the first sip is a little bit difficult, you know, before the ice has had a chance to melt or all. The the first the first sip is very alcohol forward because it's a hundred proof and it's right there at the beginning. But once the ice has melted a little bit and you've sipped a couple of sips, it's a very pleasant drink. Uh price wise, it's on it's just at the bottom end of the of the bullet price point, uh, a little bit below what you would pay for a bottle comparable bottle of bullet, but it's not bottom shelf type pricing. I'm, I, I, it's going to get me through the episode, and I think nicely. Uh, I like it. Okay. Well, we're one for two. I wish the proprietor at uh, – it's a husband and wife who own this fresh – I don't know if fresh is the name of the distillery or just this particular blend or yeah. not blend, but uh, distill distillation. You know, maybe they'll come back with something a little more traditional. That'll be a real measure of the, the skill, I think. This was mm-hmm. kind of going out on a – tangent and i don't know some people may like it i'm i'm struggling with it well i'll tell you what you're coming in you're coming into louisville this weekend uh and uh i'm sure i will at least i sure hope that i'll still have some of this cooper's craft left and uh i'll pour i'll pour you on and i'll get your your input on it well we'll do that but until then let's let's get into listener mail it sounds good we got a little, now a lot of it I've deferred to our special segment. We actually have a lot of listener mail that I've, I've sandbagged, but uh, I've got a few here that aren't so related. Uh, first up is our friend Tim Cavalier again out of Moscow, Idaho, his own private Idaho. <laughs> he wants us to remind everyone out there going to nationals to renew your IPMS membership sooner, not later. Yes. That's a good piece of advice. You want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, uh, if you're going to enter the contest, you have to be an IPMS USA member or a member of a, if you're from outside the US, a member of your own national organization. In other words, uh, if you're Canadian and you come in, you've got to, you've got to be a current IPMS Canada member and to be able to show your card. The last thing that you want to do is if you're an IPMS USA member and you're planning to attend and enter is find out that your, your membership expires like two weeks before the convention and then fail to renew it until that time. Cause if that happens, the database, as much as Marie does a great job, the database might not be updated and you might have a little bit of difficulty. So if your IPMS USA membership is expiring in June or May, June, July, go ahead and renew it now so that you don't run into that problem. That is a, that is a really good tip on his part. All right. Well, thanks, Tim, for that. Uh, next up is John Allen from Lafayette, Indiana. And I think we met John at the uh, Roscoe Turner show. If yep. we did not... Uh, our loss, probably. I'm sure he's a great guy. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, he wants to direct our listeners to Bulldog Models out of the UK and their 3D printed uh, bench top accessories, you know, paint holders and sprue racks and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll have to put that link up on the, in the show notes. I haven't looked at it yet. There's a lot of that out there. I wonder how theirs compares to uh, some of the other stuff that's out there. But he's ordering it from the UK, so it must be pretty nice because he's in Lafayette, Indiana, which is not the UK. Well, you know, that's, I think, an overlooked area. Uh, for 3D printing, uh, not only 3D printing for uh, accessories for our models, but 3D printing for tool racks and bottle racks and stuff like that. In fact, one of the first 3D items, printed items I got was a little uh, holder for the square bottles of Tamiya Extra Thin Cement uh, that our local, one of our local club members printed up and and uh, distributed through our local hobby shop scale reproductions. And then a few months ago, Lee Fogel gave me a 3D printed holder for micro saw and micro set. And they're great little bottle holders with a little brush holder. And the neat thing about them is they're printed in blue and red ah. so that you, you can put the, the micro saw in the one and the micro set in the other and you avoid that confusion of which bottle is which. So, and that's been, he gave me that a number of months ago, and I've been meaning to thank him because that is just, that's been super handy. Well, Lee, if you're listening, I want one. Not so much for the mix-up, but the fact that those tall, skinny bottles usually end up sideways on my workbench. (laughs) It's easy to do, man. It's very easy to do. It's very easy to do, especially when they're full. Yeah. You know, you might even call that a goof, a gaff, or a blunder. It's not mine, but there's some similar to that stuff in our in our upcoming <laughs> special segment for sure. <laughs> Michael Uzi from uh Peoria, Illinois in the uh Polish Coast Watchers chapter there again. He's he's writing in about every episode. Yep. Uh wants to know if we've ever talked about modeling music or tribute builds for people who are in the service or whatnot. Now we've We've talked about this stuff a little bit, but we've never made a segment out of modeling music. But, uh, you know, some folks know through our our Facebook stuff that I like to – I listen to a lot of uh, jazz and a lot of big band. And uh, I like to listen to, like, uh, new wave music from the uh, late 70s through the the 80s. It's kind of stuff I grew up on. And uh, that's what I listen to. There's some headbangers out there. I can't listen to that stuff when I'm modeling. No, I can't either. Uh, uh, About music-wise, about exclusively, I listen to either Big Band, which is probably 80% of music that I listen to if I'm listening to music while I'm modeling. You know, during hockey season, like right now, I'll, I'll model and I'll have the hockey game on. But the only other music type of music I I regularly listen to while I model is reggae, uh, Bob Marley uh, type stuff, just simply from the standpoint that it's not really frenetic and it has a nice, a nice, simple, relaxing, steady beat for me. And so, yeah, I can't listen to headbangers or hair metal or or grunge or anything like that while I model. It's just, it's too, I need, I need something calming and big band for (laughs) me. Big band for me is just super calming. Well, maybe folks need to write in and tell us what they, uh, 
what they listen to. Yeah, that might be a great special segment. Now, tribute builds, I, you know, we see a lot of that in the club, people building uh, models for retirees and stuff. But I tell you, the the one tribute build that uh, I remember the most uh, is the one Pete Gay did. Yes. Um, who it's, was up the, at, it's up at NBC in, in New York. It's at Rockefeller, yes. in the lobby of Rockefeller Center. And... Uh, now the name's escaping me. I don't know why. I cannot remember the newsman. He he was uh, a reporter who was uh, who got kind of famous through uh, his reporting on the first desert storm. And he had a pulmonary embolism. Yes, he had a pulmonary embolism, and he died. And Pete did a tribute build of basically the equipment that they had. When they well, were, because they they were it, it was a converted it was a converted recovery vehicle it had a big uh, broadcast sphere on it right if I don't if I remember correctly yeah so I think an M eighty eight that was converted to a and then there were a, a couple I think there was like a Hummer and something else that that was their self contained embed unit for reporting from the for the groundwater from when uh, Desert Storm happened. And Pete built it. It actually was uh, taken up to NBC in New York and was uh, at one time, and I don't know whether it still is, in the lobby of 30 Rock. David Bloom. David Bloom. That's the reporter. Yes. Yep. I remember that. And that was actually in, I think it was in either an Amps magazine or an IPMS journal or both as well. Yep. That's true. All right. Yep. So good on Pete. Yep. Uh, Gordon Sorensen out of Montreal. This is a link we're going to have to put up on in the show notes. He he sent me a, a link on Scalemates of a build that's on, on Scalemates. It's a uh, in 48 scale. It's a British turret and catapult in, in yeah, in 48 scale, 3D printed. Is it a, just a, is there an aircraft on it? Well, he's got a walrus he's building, but it's still in left and right fuselage up to oh. the point that the thing covers. And my God, he's done a lot to that too. Yeah. Now it's not rough shot either. This guy's taking time to clean these things up and make them look good. That's yeah. prints. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be following that one. I'll, I'll well, put that I, link I was going to say, you'll have to contact that modeler and see if he'll cough up the, the CAD so pr- renders. Print me one in 70 second scale. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, for our non-special segment related listener mail, that's going to be it tonight. So thank you for that. If anybody else would like to contribute or write into the show, please do so at uh, PlasticModelMojo at gmail.com. Send your questions, comments, uh, suggestions, and we'll uh, – criticisms, whatever. And we'll uh, we'll put you on. We'll, we'll read them and dice them up and uh, talk about them. Well, and, and after you've done that, if you'll take a moment – uh, after you're done listening to this episode, to go to whatever podcasting app you use to listen to this uh, episode and give us a rating. Uh, we'd appreciate five stars. It helps us become more visible. Uh, anytime you're listening to any of the modeling podcasts, I know all of us appreciate you taking the time to rate us and give us the five stars so that uh, so that we all become more visible to the wider world. Also, if you have modeling friends who aren't listening to Plastic Model Mojo, 
if you take a minute and sing our praises and get them listening, uh, the number one way for us to gain listeners is for modelers who are listening to tell other modelers. So if you do that, we'd appreciate it. All right. While you're rating us, rate the other podcasts as well. There's quite a few out there. On the bench from our friends down in Australia. Now, they last two episodes, I just finished up their latest today. Their last, their prior episode was on contests and where they, where, whether or not they were good or bad for the hobby. And they kind of went back and forth. And then they kind of missed one point that came to my mind based on my experience. But then in this latest episode, they've got a bunch of listener mail and Brian Latour out of Canada, who's written, to, written into us a couple of times, um, made the point that came to my mind as well was that, uh, Shows, well, not so much shows, but uh, competitiveness can be bad for your hobby. Yes, not not necessarily the hobby, but but your hobby. And uh, it got it got kind of bad for my hobby for a while, and uh, that's kind of what led to my long hiatus. And uh, you know, when we get Stephen Lee on, I think we're going to talk about that a little bit more, along with some other topics. But uh, anyway, uh, please check out the last couple of episodes on the bench for sure if you're interested in, in that kind of conversation. I highly recommend doing it while you're mowing your lawn. It's perfect for doing yard work. Just making conversation out of the United Kingdom. Uh, the last one I've listened to is about uh, comfort zones, which we've talked about a little bit as well. Yep. And stepping outside them or staying within them. And uh, I agree with where they ended up that uh, stepping outside your comfort zone makes your comfort zone bigger. Yep. That was a that was a fun one from those guys. Uh Model Geeks from right here in the United States. One of their latest episodes. Again, I, I should have written these down, but uh they were talking about I think it's Derek's he's building that to me in the new Tamiya Phantom, right? They got right. an advanced copy yes. of that plane and uh he's been working on the cockpit. Tamiya or the fine mold? Oh no, forty eight scale Tamiya F four B, right. And uh one of the others makes the comment that uh they liked what he did with the artificial horizon or, you know, in a, in a modern aircraft there, those are gyroscopic. They're not spirit level. Right. So when you turn the power off to the airplane, they're not horizontal anymore. They could be askewed at any angle. Yeah. And he had done that as a parked aircraft with no power. He had tilted the, uh, the horizon on the, on the uh, gyroscope. And if you can see that in 48 scale, more power to you, man. I, I bet you can. That's, Oh, you you can, but you just have to look for it. But it made me think. It, it, it was another one of those minor details that uh, you know can set your model apart. But it's it's also one of those things that that just get, kind of gets overlooked. And and I and I, it reminded me when I was listening to it about uh, Balky's comments on the on T thirty four models, how they're either posed with the with the driver's hatch open, or with the driver's hatch down, but with the clamshell shut. Right. Right. So if the driver's hatch is down and the clamshells are shut, the driver can't see out of the vehicle. You're driving blind. You're, what's, you're not, dri- what's, what's in front of me is not important. I guess not, unless it's your own guys. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, just another one of those tips. If you're building a T-34 and it's it's a crude vehicle with and it's buttoned up, uh, those little clamshells on the driver's hatch need to be up yep. or uh, they're driving in circles. <laughs> uh we also got scale model podcast out of canada just up north from us in canada with Stuart and friends and uh they're 
had a recent interview with I can't remember the guy's name, but they were talking to one of the uh, the heads with Wonderfest, which is next weekend here in Louisville. Yes. Yep. And uh, I know Terry Measley's coming down, and uh, we're planning on going. Yes, we are. N- not for for the entire thing, but uh, Saturday cruise through and see what we can get into. Yep. Yep. So. Maybe we'll get to talk to somebody. I don't know what we're going to do, but uh, we'll at least have a good time and take some pictures and and see what Wonderfest is all about. Now, I haven't been f- in a long, long time. It's it's been five or seven years since last well, time I was. It's been longer than that for me. Yeah. And finally, Plastic Posse Podcast. Uh, they got a really interesting interview with Adam Wilder. It's worth checking out if you're a fan of his work. And uh, just to just to rib Scott a little bit, Scott Gentry, your nickname's now the Skipper. Because <laughs> Plastic Posse Podcast is a three-hour tour. That's right, man. <laughs> hey, what are you complaining about? It was two hours and 58 minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we love you, Scott. Blogs and YouTube friends. Uh, we got Stephen Lee with his Sprue Pie and Frets blog. Chris Wallace mm-hmm. with the uh, Model Airplane Maker bo- uh, blog and YouTube channel. And we got Inch High Guy with his blog. Jim Bates with his Scale Canadian TV YouTube channel, and uh, he's got a blog too, but I think most of his yes. efforts are on the YouTube channel these days. Yep. Check them all out. A lot of fun content out there. It's all worth taking in when you get time. Yep. And, uh, you know, so with summer coming around, we, we, we need to utilize our time better. So when you do have that odd five or 10 minutes where you uh, don't have something scheduled and don't have any yard work to do or whatever, uh, you know, uh, cruise on over to one of those blogs or YouTube channels and take a look or a listen. You'll you'll really enjoy it. Finally, if you're not a member of IPMS USA or IPMS Canada, if you're in Canada or your your national IPMS chapter in whatever country you're listening to us in, take a minute and go check them out. Google IPMS USA or IPMS Canada or whatever, and check the organization out and consider joining. The cost is fairly small, about the price of a kit, and it's well worth it. And those organizations do a lot for scale modeling. Uh, They do a lot for contest organizing. And uh, again, if you want to enter in IPMS USA's contest in Las Vegas, you're going to need to be a member of IPMS USA or one of the other national chapters. So that's another reason for you to go ahead and join. All right, Dave, let's uh, take a little break here and have a word from our sponsor. Sounds good. Plastic Model Mojo is now brought to you by Model Paint Solutions, your source for harder Steenbeck airbrushes, David Union power tools, and laboratory-grade mixing, measuring, and storage tools for use with all your model paints, be they acrylic, enamels, or lacquers. Check them out at www.modelpaintsolutions.com. It's countdown to Vegas time again, Dave. Yep. Yep. I cannot wait. Well, you don't have to wait long because at the time of this recording, we are a mere 78 days away from the ICMS <laughs> National Convention in bedazzled Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> man, I am telling you what time is flying by. Oh, it sure is, man. We were like up in the 300s. Yeah, I know. Oh, about, oh, about a year ago. About a year ago. Back when it didn't look like we'd ever have a model contest again. Yeah, it's back when I was thinking maybe... Hypeness was kind of a 50-50 proposition, but uh, it's not that way now. Nope. I got a nice email from Bob today. 
this stuff's harsh. <laughs> Bob says things are starting to speed up now. Well, I agree with that. Vegas is 100% open as of today. That would be June 1st. No masks for vaccinated people and no one is asking for verification. So that's what you're going to be faced with. So you do whatever you want to do when you get there. Use your own judgment. Uh, Shows and attractions are now selling tickets for August. So all that's starting up again. There are over 3,200 room nights sold and still climbing. Good grief. Yeah, I know. Trophy sponsor sales are 99% sold out with only a few remaining. That's fantastic, man. And he says to get in while you can. I wonder what's left. Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, Bob, if you're listening, tell us what are what are the few sponsorships that you're still needing a sponsor for. Vendor sales have increased and are nearly selling out again, even after the increase in tables after the social distancing restrictions were waived. So, you know, they, they pulled back and took a few out so they could expand some of their aisles. And now they're not going to have to do that. So they've put them back. I'm assuming, and uh, 99% sold out. And I just noticed, uh, what was it yesterday? They put out the current uh, vendor room map. Oh, I've got to look at that. Oh, we got a sweet spot, man. (laughs) Thank you, Bob. And uh, seminars are filling up with some amazing speakers on the list from notable people in the model industry, former military people, and uh, down to a gentleman that worked in making models and props for the motion picture industry. Such films as Star Trek, Titanic, Hunt for Red October, and many others. Uh, He's saying this is the one that should not be missed. And the seminar schedule will be ready to post on the convention website on July 1st. All right. Something to look forward to, man. It's getting real. It is. Pretty much a lock at this point, unless something really crazy happens. Yep. So I uh, I think the landing gear is coming down on this one. Yep, I tell you what, I I got to say I was uh, I, I was worried, and uh, I'm I'm glad that uh, that we're going to get because I don't I couldn't have survived another year without a national man. I'd I'd be like some junkie over in the corner, <laughs> <laughs> shaking all, and you know it'd be it would have been a bad. Yeah, you'd be in the fetal position in your shower on the floor of the tub. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, that's countdown to Vegas, and it's we're getting there. You know, we keep saying we're going to get Bob and Joe on here together next time, so uh, we need to figure out where we're going to do that. Yeah, we do need to, and and uh, not last minute because they're going to be busy as all get it. That's that's all a good point. Out. I'll have to reach out here soon. We'll we'll have to do that sooner rather than later. Mike, uh, have you been modeling lately? What's your modeling bench look like? Well, I've been trying to. I haven't got a whole lot done. I'm still painting the wood for the revetment on the uh, on the Zis three or Zis two project. And yeah, that's, that's I haven't done a whole lot more than what I, what we talked about last time. So the the next phase of that is that last wall, the one that's going to face the viewer when you're looking at it in the primary view direction. It's it's uh we've alluded to what I was up to, and we've never really said, but I'll go ahead and say what I'm I'm trying to do. I want that side of the revetment to look like it was wood taken from a, a sign. So. I've got some Cyrillic artwork that's uh it's a propaganda poster for the the youth organization and it's not really usable in the format it is now. I've got a, a a graphics art friend who 
I think can isolate the letters for me and give me a scalable JPEG to uh, to use that image the way I want to use it and yeah. sharpen it up a little bit. And then I'm going to use it to etch a cliche out of brass and uh, use that to, to mask, make a stencil, yeah. essentially. I was going to say cliche out of brass. Uh, try, and, try and use small words for those of us who, who... I'm going to make a stencil. There we go. There, there we go. go. You know, if you had one of those cricket cutters, I wonder if that would come in handy for at least part of that. It might, but it's I have to have the artwork fixed because right oh, now okay. it's just a it was it was cut cut and pasted out of a, a, a JPEG image, and it's just not it's not usable the way it is. Yeah, I can't wait to see that. Where did you get such an idea? Uh, maybe you. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> you bastard. Uh yeah, I want to see. I I really think that will add a lot of visual interest. I I I really liked that idea, and I it, you know what? To be honest with you, I frankly am pretty sure I saw it somewhere where somebody did not the same thing with it, but something similar. Maybe yeah. like in a World War One trench where they used some of the shoring timber timbers like that. The other thing I've been dabbling with is this. Reba Botan truck again because I, I finally got those drawings printed that I got from the the Reba Corporation and I got those printed at the blueprint shop and they they are one tenth scale I've confirmed the scale of the drawings so nothing happened when they were scanned they weren't scanned copies at a different scale right uh, so now I'm going to get some thirty fifth scale copies made but the one tenth scale drawings are really useful because you could they're just really clear and you can see a lot of detail that uh, you you might not see on a smaller scale drawing. Other than that, I've not done a whole lot. Um, I am working on some ammo boxes for the ZIS diorama base. So other than that, not not much. Well, when you were building those ZIS ammo boxes, you you came up with a new use for our friend Mr. Goodman's uh, sanding blocks. Which use? Because I use the them to text. I used to texture the wood grain. No, I used no, them. The, oh, the, the, okay. for the box. Right. You used them to make. You used them to make a square. Well, no, I use them in in the square. I use angle irons right. to make the square, but the, because those blocks are so square, uh, the problem I was having was liquid cement wicking up the face of the angle iron between the angle iron and the plastic piece, right? And screwing it up. So, if you put one of his sanding blocks, use that against the angle iron on one side, the side the glue seems on, yeah, uh, and put the liquid cement in there. It wicks all the glue away all the excess and it won't, it'll, it'll get it out of the way of the, of the plastic and you won't have that problem. So, uh, I put some pictures on the Facebook page. If anybody's interested, I can post those again, uh, just to make it fresh, but, uh, just, uh, it solved the problem that I was yep. having really well, actually. I thought that was a rather inventive use. Now I use that 80 grit one to make wood texture on, on these planks, yes. but uh, I've talked about that before, but, uh, it's a good use for that block too. Yep. What about you? You've been modeling. You said you got progress. Let's hear, let's hear about it. I actually do have progress. After several weeks of low mojo and fear and all of that stuff, um, uh, I made progress. Uh, last time I think to, I talked about the problem I was having with those TU-128 missiles and painting them white. I got those almost done uh, to the point where 
they're they're about to be put in a sealed Ziploc bag and put back in the kit box while the rest of the kit gets assembled. So I, I conquered my problems there. Also, well, I haven't conquered my fear as far as chipping the M30. It's sitting here staring at me, uh, mocking me, and I have yet to have the nerve to start the chipping process, but I'm going to bite the bullet soon and start doing that because with your ZIS essentially being uh, done, my M30 needs to needs to get to that point. Uh, also, I need to just get it the heck off my bench so that I can uh, finish something else. Uh, the big progress I made uh, is the Mosquito, which I've got completely assembled and primed, part of which will feature in our goof scaffs and blunders coming up, but uh, uh, it's it's all primed. The primer looks really good. Uh, now, there are, of course, anytime you prime a model, there are issues that you need to go back and fix, and this is no exception, but it's it's definitely moving forward, and at this stage, I can see the end of the road, which which is, for me, very encouraging. So, yeah, I, while I've had limited time to model in the last two weeks because of the holidays and s- summer and all that other stuff, I'm making progress. And not only that, I'm feeling good about the progress I'm making. So, um, all looks good on the bench at my at my end, or at least good, better than it has been. That could be the bourbon talking. <laughs> Anything else? Nope, that's about it. Although I have been thinking about since both the M30 and the the Mosquito are, while they're not quite, uh, you know, at the finish line, I can see the finish line from where I am, and that's gotten me thinking about what I'm going to do next when when those two are off the bench. Now, obviously, the TU128 is one of those things. I've been thinking about some other stuff and I keep, I'm like a kid in a candy store. Every time I keep changing my mind. Oh no, I'd like to do that. Oh no, I'd like to do that. Oh no, I'd like to do that. So what uh, I think we're probably going to all end up waiting and seeing when I finally do move something off the bench top, what takes its place. I think I'll be shocked as much as anybody. Well, have you been buying anything? Well, yes and no, or no and yes. Well, before we go down that road, uh, Uh I want to mention that uh, this segment of this episode of Plastic Model Mojo, What Broke Your Wallet, is being brought to you by Horizon Models out of Australia. They are celebrating the 60th anniversary of Alan Shepard's historic flight. And in commemorating that event, they are offering a dual boxing of their Mercury Atlas and Mercury Redstone kits in 172nd scale. So they're a real space kind of specific company. And uh, you can get both of these kits together for $60 US shipped from Australia. They are um, having seen those kits and having been in possession of at least one of them, uh, I can tell you, they are the cutting edge of real space modeling today. Uh, my biggest desire is for them to continue the range because they're, they really do great stuff. 
Well, Tony says that the sale is extended to June 30th. It was originally slated to stop May 31st, but he's extending that to June 30th. He wants as much participation in it as he can get. And uh, so get on the website for Horizon Models and check it out. And it certainly won't break your wallet at $60 for two kits because it's almost 100 bucks retail. Yep. P- plus shipping normally before this special. So he's being very generous here. So if you're into real space or think you might want to check out some real space, these aren't that big. These Mercury rockets aren't terribly huge. Be a good way to get into it. Yep. I agree completely. So what broke your wallet, Dave? It wasn't these. Well, no, it wasn't those. Um, actually, the last two weeks, I've been relatively good. Uh, all I've done is I got, um, I ran out of fif- Mr. Surfacer 1500 black in the rattle can. So I had to order a can online of that. And then you're probably familiar with those uh, micro sticks, which are plastic sticks with the adhesive on the end. They come out of the dental industry. Okay. I use those uh, all the time for holding holding stuff, uh, particularly for painting, holding stuff like missiles when you're going to paint them. I had run, I'd gotten close to running out and I went online and I found a 64 pack of them at a dental supply place uh, and ordered those and got those in. And uh, as far as purchases, that's a, well, yeah, that's about it. Now I did place an order with uh, our friend, Dr. Strange brush. He's bringing in some kits from a new distributor. Ooh, uh, all right. And so he uh, he was placing his first order and uh, was looking to bulk it out. And uh, Jim Bates tempted me into going to look at, at the distributor's website. And uh, I ended up ordering five kits. <laughs> so my wallet has not been broken yet, but it is on the way to being broken. Sadly enough, here it is. Okay, June 1, and I have bought already, already this year, more than twice as many kits as I finished all of last year. It's part of the hobby, man. That's just part of it. (laughs) That is not moving in the right direction. It doesn't doesn't matter. I would like to get to the point, you know, just like I'd like the U.S. federal budget to get to the point where they're break-even. I would love to get to the point where I am break even as far as the number of models I complete and the number of kits I buy. I don't see that curve happening anytime soon. And it won't. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me about it. How's your wallet looking? Well, in the spirit of of the segment, not so well. But it wasn't all out of my wallet. I had some gift cards and things I'd accumulated over the holidays and birthday and stuff. But uh, I've pretty much exhausted all that now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> what what goodies did we get well picked up uh a book the first t-34 birth of a legend the t-34 model 1940 now this is not the book that we were talking about with our guest last episode right that's t-34 shock yes that's t-34 shock it's to be released june 21st now i believe yeah uh this book is from uh author is christian Molso. And it's uh, also the Jochen Folart Archives, which is the Jochen's the publisher, Tankograd out of Germany. Another another high use of German snapshots as a primary reference source. And this book deals ex- 
exclusively with the uh, the first version, the L11 Arms version of T34, and it's about it's nice size, almost 250 pages. Now, when you say the L11 version, armed version, is that the first 76 millimeter gun or is yes, that the 57 yes. millimeter? That's not no, the 57 millimeter. No, the, gun. the 57 millimeter gun version was was just a small batch tank destroyer version of the tank. Okay. It was not a, there was no real lineage of that being a, it's not a linear progression. It didn't go from 57 to 76 to the the other 76. It was, those were built, purpose built for tank destroyers. Gotcha. The way I understand it anyway. But uh, this thing covers like the A32 prototype development and then just gets right into all the A34 and then the T34 model of 1940. I really like this book. It's got a lot of great pictures in it, a lot of great diagrams and drawings. I highly recommend it. So if you're into T-34s, um, I would pick this one up. I don't think you can go wrong. E- even if there's somebody comes out later and starts calling out technical gaffes in the, in the text, I don't really care. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of great images in that book. So that's, that's where it's all about. I think. Are you telling me there are a lot of diorama inspiration in that book? Uh, there's there's quite a bit, but there's also a lot of uh, good technical information, and uh, very gets in the minutia of the, the 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 production changes on that particular series of vehicle. Very good book. Now to change gears a little bit, uh, I also finally bought a bunch of accessories for my mini lathe. Finally got some decent cutting tools. I got a quick change tool post for the compound feed, and I got a drill chuck and arbor for the tailstock. So my intent is to really get into learning to use this thing. Well, you, I know you've had it for a number of years and you've dabbled with it. Well, I've dabbled with the mill. I've got a mill too. I've only had, the, I got this lathe like summer of 2019. Oh, okay. So it's, it's for me, it's new. I, it's, it's, uh, kind of been in cold storage for about nine months, but, uh, it's out again and I've been playing with it, but, uh, we'll see. I got a lot to learn. I'm going, I'm going through some online videos and trying to learn some very basic lathe operations. What do you envision doing with it? Uh, hopefully gun barrels and, uh, making round parts that I need that, uh, that are, that are custom from the ground up. So. Gotcha. So that, that sort of thing. And finally I got, uh, Dragon's Apollo boxing of their, uh, SH3DC King and the old 66 scheme. Mm -hmm. And I tell you, that's ended up being a disappointment. Why? How so? There are stress cracks on the side windows for the cockpit. Right, hmm. at the, right at the sprue gate, a completely unfixable condition. Well, maybe you can pick up a replacement somewhere. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, maybe, maybe somebody's got them. I'll have to watch online, see if everybody's part of the kit out, or maybe there's a vac canopy set for it. I don't know. That's a good question. So we'll I don't know. Listeners, if any of you know, give Mike some help. Oh, I know. It's a real bummer because the rest of the kit's pretty nice. And I know there's some consternations about how that thing is engineered and how it goes together but uh yeah detail detail wise it looks good well it doesn't matter you're gonna tear it half apart and put it back together your own way anyway well i might i don't know it's a helicopter that's that's new new territory there I, you know what i was on 72nd scale forum aircraft forum the other day and uh somebody posted a helicopter and i've got to tell you helicopter guys in 72nd scale it's just a whole different world. I mean, 
I am in, in awe of most of the guys on 72nd scale forum and the, what they can do, you know, Joe Youngerman, Barry Numerick and the like. Um, but these helicopter guys, I mean, it's so different from just building an aircraft. It's, it, I've got to say, I, it has me at all. So <laughs> we'll build a, build a helicopter. You know what? I think, there's some one or two that I'd like to build and who knows, maybe I will eventually, but there's a lot of stuff I got to get built before that. Well, Dave, our special segment tonight is titled listener confessions or more goofs, gaffes and blunders. No, it's been said success is built on a mountain of failures. Our truer words were never spoken. It's also been said the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yep. Over the last several weeks, we've been accumulating a few listener submissions on goofs, gaffes, and blunders to share with everyone and have a laugh and uh, talk about our own experiences. Uh, you want to share one, or should dive, or should we dive into the listener submissions? Let me start with one. It's a, a simple one. Um, it's probably a blunder as much as a goof or a gaff, and this happened very recently. You you remember? episode or two ago, Dr. Strangebrush was on here and he was talking about how he washes the models before, actually he washes them very early before he even begins assembly. Uh, I know if you've watched Night Shift, we've all watched in horror as he's taken a fully assembled kit and running under a tap, uh, uh, tap water uh, to, to get it clean. But uh, I've never been much, much for priming and to be honest with you, it's never, or I mean, uh, washing a model before priming, and it's never really bit me in the butt until now. Uh, on the Mosquito, I had sprayed the nacelles with some color coats. Uh, I forget the color. It's an RAF blue color. And apparently, I had had enough, either there was enough mold release agent or the oils from my skin and all that was on the model. And when I painted this color coats enamel on it, it went down fine. It looked fine. You couldn't tell that there was any problem with it. But then when I went to prime the model, I primed it with Mr. Surfacer 1500 and that hot lacquer hit that enamel paint and wrinkled it up. I'll put a picture on the Facebook page. It made it look like somebody's a wrinkled bed sheet because what it had done is it had lifted that paint because it, it wasn't adhering well because I failed the prime. So the lesson for me is listen to Dr. Strangebrush and from now on, before you prime, before you paint it any, anything, Go ahead and give the the model a quick wash with alcohol or or soap and water, whatever your preferred method to to get the grease and any release agent off the model before you start priming. You'll save yourself some heartache. Well, I'll lead with one of my own as well, and then we'll get into these listener mail ones. Uh, All right. You remember back when I was building that uh, Sig thirty three Aus Panzer three chassis, the big boxy. Right, the Stalingrad thingy. The Stalingrad thingy. That kit was based on the uh, the Gunzi Sanyo Panzer III, the 
somehow Dragon DML inherited those those that tooling. Right. Well, from the time that kit was released, Tamiya had released that uh that at the time new Sturmgeschütz 3G. Right. And the wheels were way better. So I cobbled a set of road wheels from that kit to go on my SIG. Mm-hmm. And I had them all painted. I'd masked them and painted the hubs and painted the tires. And I'd put the wash on them. And to dry them, I'd drop my uh, gooseneck lamp down close to them. <laughs> and let's just say uh, what started out as grapes turned into raisins. <laughs> It got hot enough under there to actually let the uh, plastic shrink. And they went from 35th scale to about 48th scale. <laughs> but, they, but, they were, but they weren't round anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> well, you know, it. it's funny you mentioned that. Um, uh, Scott King, our friend Skippy, he built a model of a Baines bat, which is a British... Uh, a World War II experimental glider, very thin, very delicate. And Skippy built this thing, and and it did a beautiful job as he always does with any model. And then he took it outside on a very sunny day to take some pictures of it. And he took it out and took some pictures of it and turned away for you know, maybe four or five or 10 minutes. And he came back and the sun was so intense and the the plastic was so thin that one wing had just completely curled up. Oh, um, gosh. Yeah. And now the, the there's a, a happy ending to that story. He was able to straighten it and do so without messing up the paint or the decals or anything. He managed to straighten it, and that thing went on to win an award uh, at the Nationals out in Phoenix in 2004. Oh, man. But, uh, yeah, war, heat and models do not go well together. They do not. And we got one of those in here, but it won't be the first one. Okay. Uh, our first submission came from uh, Jonathan Bryan out of uh, New Addington in the United Kingdom. And uh, his gaffe was, you know... Soviet aircraft numbers up on the forward end. Yeah, port port number is what it's called. Okay. Well, he was decaling his this uh, MiG twenty one, and I'll have to. I, I should have put these pictures up. It's just a bang up job. I mean, it was the the the, the solid de- demarcation line at the halfway point up the fuselage, yeah. and then a then a hard edge three tone scheme on it. Yeah, I know just, the scheme you're talking about. Just just a bang up job, and. When viewed from the starboard side, the aircraft number was ten one zero. I know what he did here. When when viewed from the port side, it was zero. It was zero one. Zero one. Yeah, because he had placed a zero toward the nose cone on yep. both sides of the aircraft. <laughs> yep. And and you know what? When you next time you're at a model contest and you see Soviet aircraft. Go down and be sure to look at the Bort numbers on both sides, because I guarantee you he's not the only person who's ever made that mistake. <laughs> you got another one from you? Uh, no, not one that I can think of right now. 
All right. Well, we've got uh, John Marley from uh, Newcastle, Australia. All I'll right. Re- I'll read this one. G'day, guys. The biggest goof gaff and blunders that first comes to my mind concerns a Tamiya BMW 635CSI Group A race car I built many years ago. I bet that's got a lot of decals on it. Oh, yeah. I just finished finished painting the fire extinguisher that would sit behind the driver's seat. Red bottle, semi-gloss black handle, matte black hose and stowage strap, silver safety pin, all looking delicious. I picked it up to show my, to show it to my twin brother who was modeling beside me, and just as he cla- clapped his eyes on it, I immediately dropped it into an open bottle of Tamiya black paint. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's bad. <laughs> so he took it a while to fish it out again because he's laughing too much. <laughs> well, that's good well, humor there. Yeah, I was going to say I am. I'm glad that it, he at least. Uh, was able to laugh at that. You know what that reminds me of? What? Uh, when our club mate, the uncle, was uh, he had oil painted that pilot figure for. Oh God! Oh, that's a great one. <laughs> some uh, some aircraft model. I think it was an F one hundred. Maybe it was no. It was an F one hundred five. I remember okay. this like it was, uh, like it was the the like it was yesterday. And uh, he was ready to flat finish the the thing over. Uh, all the glossy oil paints and picked up his can of primer instead. Yeah. Bam. We used to White joke. It looked like, looked, looked like the fire extinguisher went off in the cockpit. Yep. <laughs> you know, a, a common theme in a lot of these is, is grabbing the wrong chemical. Yep. And, uh, Ken Freund is one of those. Ken is from Livingston, uh, Montana. And he meticulously decaled the insignia on a 700-scale Japanese float planes for what may have been the Yamato kit. And after after hitting each decal after with decal set, and then finding out he used liquid cement by mistake. That one that one's near and dear to your heart, right? I know I've done that, and I think Balky's done that too. Yeah. So yeah, yep. when you're about to, when you're about to decal, put your liquid cement away. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, man. Scott Stokowiak, I can't remember where he's from. He's written in before. And he actually commended me on my, my Polish name pronunciation. <laughs> uh, his goof gaff and blunder was uh, when he was building a 48-scale P47. It was the first time he'd used sections of uh, hypodermic syringe needles as gun tubes. Mm-hmm. And after carefully gluing each of them in place and assuring the proper length, he stepped back to admire his work and realized he had mixed up the order of the gun barrels instead of uh, Ooh. long to sh- long to short, short, short to <laughs> short, long, short to long. <laughs> uh, that's a lot of work to undo, but yep, it, it only cost him time and pride because he he actually got it fixed. So, <laughs> well, you know, most of these are not unfixable. I mean, uh, your little mistake with that Puma mixing up the decal setting solution and the liquid cement, you you fixed that. Well, yeah, it's sanded all out and redid the whole damn thing. <laughs> but I fixed it. Yes, I did. Uh, Lynn Stewart from uh, Essex Junction, Vermont. After spending six months working on Tamiya's 30-second scale Spitfire, I was ready to lay down some uh, decals. I've been away from the hobby for 20 years. And this is my first big build after coming back. 
He's very proud of his results up to that point. He started laying down the decals and reached into the drawer to pull out some microset and started brushing it on the model, only to realize it was liquid decal film. <laughs> oh, oh, that's a different ver- that's a different version of that mistake. Oh yeah, because it's it's the same bottle and same blueprint. Yeah. And he watched in horror as the paint turned to goo or pool of sludge, as he says. End up stripping the whole thing and starting over. Says he now he keeps the decal film in the garage away from the model bench. That's a smart move on his part, man. Yeah, pro- probably is a smart move on his part. Oh, man. This one's harsh. Uh-oh. There's a horror story. Derek Post. His first model after 27-year hiatus. Oh, no. <laughs> well, let me paraphrase. He shares a hobby space with his fiance. She's got a, it's her, it's her craft room, her craft room, his model room. And he's going to use a hairdryer in the room to uh, dry some paint. Only it wasn't a hairdryer. It was a flat out, straight up heat gun. Oh, oh, that's bad. Oh, man. Like completely melted the top to this C-47. But you know what? I'll have to post these pictures. He finished the model anyway. He recovered. Did he really? He, he turned a finished model into a putty monster. <laughs> and actually fixed the fuselage. He melted right at the top end, just after the, uh, right around the, the, the observation bulb, you know, on top. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, that whole area is just a big sunken mess. Oh, God, that hurts. Oh, yeah, that hurts a that lot. That hurts. And, you, you know, the, uh, these real disasters always seem to come right at the, right at the end of the build. It never comes at the beginning. Because you get in a hurry. Yeah. You start to sprint for the finish line and you trip and fall. Yeah. Face plant. Well, this is another good one. You, you want to talk about unrecoverable? Okay. Well, some of this may have been out of frustration, but uh, this is Eric Curvina from uh, the IPMS Northern Virginia Modelers. So I guess it's probably DC Metro kind of area. Yeah. He got this one right under the wire over the weekend. Uh, hopefully it isn't too late, but it's not. We got it in. Uh, a few months back, I was building two models for our club's yearly build the same subject event. I had to submit photos in just a couple of hours and was on the home stretch. The model I was finishing was a tank that I'd built uh, and painted as sub-assemblies. And as I started to put the pieces together and saw there was no way it was going to go together, I tried to remove uh, the parts that were preventing assembly, and I broke the model beyond reasonable repair at the time. He just bent it to the well of tears after that. Oh, nothing, nothing worse when again having having an unrecoverable, and that is, you know, I talk about fear and modeling, and how you get to the closer you get to uh, the finish, and the better the model is looking, the more that fear creeps into the back of your head, and it keeps you from moving forward. Oh, I'll go start another model rather than than finish this one. And and what it is, it is the fear of that happening, the fear of getting to the finish line and mucking it up just as you can see the tape. Well, I, I blinked and I missed a line that's kind of pertinent to this whole reason he couldn't get it together is he misunderstood uh, the assembly sequence. And when he built up the sub-assemblies, he got into a, you know, painted himself into a corner. Yeah, you know, it, it, it just would not go together at that point. So <laughs> he yep. bend it. He bend it. Then frustrated and angry, uh, he went to the spray booth to put the final dull coat on the model of an X-wing he was building. 
Grabbed oh no! Ra- grabbed his rattle can of dull coat and gave it a good shake and started spraying oh. and thought, "Oh uh, no, uh, no, uh, th- no, this stuff isn't going down like I expected. Going down a little strange." But since he had never used to me a rattle can dull coat before, he kept going. Oh God! <laughs> We're laughing with you, Eric. Yes, we are. And at the end of the stroke down the full length of the model, I thought, what the heck is going on? And I took a closer look at the can and his frustration. He had not grabbed a can of Dolco. He grabbed a can of primer. Oh. Two nearly finished models in the bin in less than 10 minutes. Oh, Jesus. Oh, that's bad. That is, that is bad. That, that hurts. I hope he knows his walk away threshold now. Yes. I, that's exactly where I was going with that. Is there are some time if you've ever seen Top Gun, and uh, there's that the famous scene where Kelly McGillis is talking about, you know, sometimes it's better to select Zone Five and escape rather than to push a bad position. And I was talking with this with Jim Bates the other night. He went to Airbrush. And it just wasn't working. He was doing everything the exact same as he always does. And it just wasn't working. And I've had that experience any number of times. You know, I do the exact same things I always do. The paint is thin the same. The pressure's the same. The temperature's the same. All of that. And sometimes it just doesn't work. And what I have found from rude experience is when that happens, put it down, clean the airbrush out, and walk away. Because there are just some nights where it's, it's for whatever reason, it's not happening. And the worst thing you can do when, that, when you're in that situation is keep trying to make it work. Because you, yep. will, you will go to the point of breakage. And that's never a good place to go to. No, it is not. Well, that's the listener submissions for Goofs, Gas, and Blunders Part 2. You know, we all make mistakes, and I guess how you handle them is all part of the learning process. Yep. And the one thing that, you know, again, talking back about that fear of screwing up the model irretrievably, first of all, most screw-ups are not irretrievable. Most, I mean, yeah, there's some that you're so far gone you don't want to go fix, but almost nothing you do other than maybe a heat gun uh, uh, is irretrievable. And so if you have a setback, the uncle's a great example. When he had a setback like that, he could have fixed what he did. Instead, he got frustrated, did the El Stompo Bravo, and <laughs> and, you know, that was the end of that project. Walking away, when you make a mistake like that, after you stop either laughing or crying, whichever whichever it causes you to do, the best thing in the world is to put everything down and walk away, go read a book, go watch TV show, go do whatever it is you do to go drink, um, you know, have another <laughs> modeling fluid. Um Whatever it is you do, walk away from it. Come back 24 hours later with fresh eyes and make a cold decision at that point. Okay, is it fixable? And do I want to invest the time in fixing it? 
sometimes the answer to that is no. Okay, you had a learning experience and move on. But sometimes the answer is, yeah, that's fixable. Uh, like the story I told at the beginning with the uh, having failed to uh, clean the model before priming it with the mosquito and having that paint just lift up and wrinkle uh, when I applied the primer. That was pretty darn frustrating. But instead of doing, you know, keeping on and, and, and I put it down. Uh, luckily I happened to be talking to, uh, Jim Bates at the time and I put the model down. I walked away from it. I sat there talking with Jim who made a very good suggestion as to how to fix it, which turned out to be really, really helpful. And I came back 24 hours later the fix was not that difficult, especially with Jim's suggestion and the, the models moving forward now. So when you run into one of those goof scaffs and blunders, give your, give yourself a little time, walk away from it. You'll come back to it with fresh eyes. Yeah. I, I've, I've, I've learned my walk away threshold and, and a lot of times anymore these days, it's, it's, it's even before a mistake ever happens. I just know if I keep going that I'm going to mess something up. Yes. Yep. There, that, and that, you know what? And that is, that is the next level of self-awareness. I mean, first, I think we get to the point where we, we mess something up, but when you've really gotten good as a modeler is when you can tell you're about to mess something up. When when you realize that, okay, I've done enough tonight and I'm tired or that I can feel that I'm starting to get frustrated before I make a mistake and walk away, that I think is next level modeling zen. Took the word right out of my mouth. Yep. Well, that's our special segment. Hopefully we won't have too many goose gaffs and blunders, but we all have them and it's all part of modeling. Absolutely. So just let it be a funny story and not a reason to stop stop the hobby. Exactly. Well, Mike, uh, do you have any shout outs for the month? I do. I've got uh, I got a few here. First off, this episode and many others to come because of some generosity are brought to you by Chris Wallace and Mark Medwell and a few other regular contributors who've taken upon themselves to contribute financially to Plastic Model Mojo. And we really appreciate that. We've gotten a lot of support over the last uh, several months, and it's, it means so much because we've been able to, to uh, up our game a little bit because of it. So if, if you'd like to follow in the footsteps of these fine folks, you can do so by going to www.plasticmodelmojo.com. And in the upper right-hand corner of your screen, you will find a heart icon that takes you to a PayPal link that will let you make a contribution directly to Plastic Model Mojo. Uh, we really appreciate any help anybody's willing to give us. It all goes so far, and it helps us bring the show to you. Well, I'd like to shout out um, my modeling friend, Jim Bates. The last uh, last three weeks or month or so, as as Listeners, remember, I've, I went through a little bit of a modeling mojo drought. Uh, Jim's encouragement has helped me move, continue to move forward. Uh, and I've broken out of the drought, thanks in part to him and his encouragement. Uh, also, uh, he's been doing the a Scale Canadian TVs, and I've been enjoying watching those. 
those things aren't really how-to YouTubes like Night Shift or somebody like that. They're more uh, modeling hobby lifestyle videos and, and, you know, what's going on with him. And he's just telling you what he's been doing and what he's encountered. It's, it's kind of like sitting and talking with a modeling friend. And so I really enjoy what he's been doing. So that's a shout out to, to Jim Bates. I've got another one. Okay. Give it to me. Uh, listener, Jim Maddox. It's an interesting story. I, uh, was looking for the mini art ammo set for the ZIS-2, ZIS-3 guns because the boxes that came with the kit are kind of really generic and aren't really representative. And you can't really make them open top either, which I needed a couple of open ones for the vignette I'm building with this gun. And uh, I found one on eBay and I bought it. And then I don't know how he recognized it was me, but uh, he uh, he sent me a, a message via Facebook Messenger through the Plastic Model Mojo facebook page and asked if i just bought this ammo set from uh off ebay said why yes i did and uh he ended up doing me a favor let's just put it that way and uh say made it very affordable (laughs) jim i appreciate it i'm I'm getting those together right now i'm about halfway through the assembly on those and they're just what the doctor ordered they're gonna look great and I, i appreciate your generosity jim thank you very much speaking of that one um you and I were talking about as you were assembling those and painting them and you made a comment that I completely never thought of. We were talking about those and I asked about, you know, weathering, you know, after you've assembled them and painted them wood and all of that, weathering them. And you said something that made so much sense that I, I had never thought of and would never have thought of. Those crates weren't reused, were they? Not to my knowledge. Uh, they were not reused. They were not recycled. Now, a lot of the, sometimes the Germans would, in I- ideal situations, would recycle other metal ammunition cans. But uh, a lot of the wooden crates end up firewood, especially on the on the Red Army side because you know they got they got plenty of trees. They didn't need to recycle yeah. ammo boxes. Yeah. So what they would do is once they emptied the ammo box, it would get broken up and thrown on the fire or, or in used in a as ditch a, or yeah. Right, or used as a seat for a latrine or something. Exactly. So you're asking me to weather up those boxes real good. I'm saying, well, no, they were they were pretty much new. Yeah. Uh so I'm I'm trying to use bright colors, you know, light light shades for the wood. Still kind of getting some variation there. And they'll they'll still be washed and highlighted and shadowed, but uh they're they're have be, some mud and dirt on them. Yeah, they're not going to be like gray, ashed up wood, though. They won't be that, gotcha. that that weathered. So, yeah. And I had never thought of that. Yeah, they do look good. Post pictures on the Facebook page. I'll have to put some more up as I get a little get it, start getting them painted. I'm, I'm I've got how many have I got? I've got two closed ones assembled and and one open one. And I'm about to start another open one. So, well, I'm looking forward to it. There'll be a, a partially filled one next to the gun with a few rounds left in it. And there'll be a, a completely empty one pitched over the side of the revetment. Gotcha. So, and then a lot of the internal dividers scattered hither and hither and yon around the ammo boxes. So that's what I got in mind. So Jim, thanks. Thank you for those. I appreciate them. Well, Mike, I think we've come to the, the end of an episode. I think we have, and we're well under two hours too. Yeah. We managed to control ourselves. Well, 
you know, we've had some really good interviews, so we've we've taken yes. a break from that this episode. We've got a few more coming up, so if you like them long, there may be a few more long ones in the future. But uh, for tonight, so many kits, so little time. See you right, Saturday, man. Mike. I'll see you Saturday, and we'll head off to Wonderfest and give some kind of a report back from that, and uh, see who can, see who we can talk to. Sounds great. All right, man. Take it easy. You too. All right. Bye.